0: Have you ever taken a walk through wine store and taken a look at the wines maybe behind glass or top shelf and taken a look at some of the price points or taken a look at the restaurant menu when you open it up, the collector part or the wines at the back of the list if the list is going in progressive order for the price point and wondered about what makes a wine expensive? Or how do these wines get to be so expensive? Today, I'm going to be answering some questions that maybe you just weren't sure who to ask all around expensive wines, such as what makes a wine expensive? Is an expensive wine worth it? And will I like an expensive wine? So if you've ever had questions about expensive wines, today is the episode for you. I'm going to be answering some of the most common questions I get about expensive wines. So if you've had questions, weren't sure who to ask, today's a day for you. If you're ready, let's dive in and get started. Hi everybody and welcome to the Wine Shop Talk podcast. If you're new here, my name is Erin Rosar. I'm a professional sommelier and it is my passion and my privilege to make learning about wine not only fun and easy, but also practical, meaning I want you to feel confident and empowered not only making wine decisions when you're out at a fancy event or shopping for a gift, but in your regular everyday life of helping you create magical pairings when you're cooking at home or you're just out for a simple dinner with family and friends. So if you are new, welcome, welcome. If you are not new, welcome back, I'm so glad to have you here with me today. Now today we're diving into the taboo topic, if you will, of expensive wines. And I'm going to be going through some of the most common questions I get in regards to Should I buy an expensive wine? Is it worth it? What should I expect? And this comes up especially around this time of year. It happens to be August while I am recording this and and this is key wedding season. So lots of people buying gifts. Some people have wine registries for their wedding. So people are reaching out to me wondering about how much should I spend? I don't want to give a cheap gift. However, do I need to spend this much is the other question about how much is an expensive wine. And so today we're going to cover what makes a wine expensive and how does that price go up? Also, what should you expect if you buy an expensive wine? I'm also going to want to talk about what happens if you buy a wine that is sort of really ageable and expensive. How do we seller it and keep it? Because that's an important one if you're starting to get into some of those collectible ageable wines. And then one of the key questions that I always get asked is, is this going to be an incredible experience in the glass? So I'm gonna cover what you may experience when you are actually enjoying or having a glass of a very expensive wine. So let's dive into the first question, what makes a wine expensive? And there's a few things that go into play with what makes a wine expensive. One being in that it has sort of street value in that it is a brand that people recognize and that they give a high value to. So if we think of, golf clubs or fashion, if you will, then you're going to be thinking about, you automatically know that you pay X amount of dollars for a pair of Lululemon leggings, for example, versus a pair of leggings at Target. So there's already, you are accepting a price point. So when you look at wines, there are certain brands that have a street value of a perceived amount and people are comfortable buying that. And that has been built up over time for people to appreciate that this is the price point where it starts from. The other play that we have here is also in regards to wine scores or points. Has it been rated very high? Did it just get an award that gives it national or global accreditation? So when we get a hundred point wine, if you will, and let's say it's in the wine spectator 100-point list for the year, obviously that wine, even though it was very little known before it got that score, is going to go up to the top of the list and its value just increased. As a value of a wine goes up or its awareness on the global stage, someone gave it a great review, the next piece of the puzzle is how much of this wine do we actually have on the planet? So sometimes we will have a wine that's been very highly scored, but the winery may be smaller. And in fact, they only have a couple of barrels, which means only a couple hundred bottles globally, which means that bottle just became a very hot commodity and people will pay more to be able to have that wine as part of their collection. So not only does it have sort of a value in regards to its review or its score, but how much is actually available because as we have less inventory on the planet, the price point is also going to go up as people want to have that wine potentially in their collection so a couple of different factors go into and obviously special vintages so if you think about the year 2000 the other factors that come into place are obviously key global vintages so we have Ports, for example, that um, are dated in the 40s, so around the end of the Second World War, for example, those are obviously very special, very collectible. So those bottles will have uh, an extra value to them because of the memory they have. And every time somebody opens up one of those collectible bottles, there's one less on the planet. And so at some point, we just won't have any more of that wine left to try. Also, if we're looking to build a tasting flight, so for classes and for tasting experiences, we're going to want to have a collection of different vintages of certain wines, certain vintages may be scored higher, those have a higher price point, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the consumer needs to give it value in regards to quality of wine on the inside of it whether that is coming from a point system or a review or a memory of something that important that happened on the planet that people want to hold on to that vintage as a memory as well as how much of that bottle is actually available on the planet because the less wine there actually is the higher the price point that's going to be. So in regards to price, there's a couple of different factors that go into it. And let's face it, computers have made it much easier for you to be able to Google about a wine and check prices around the world. So there's some pretty easy ways now for you to look at collectible sites and see what different wines and vintages are going for. And it's pretty cool. A really fun one as well to check is to to look at port vintages or champagne vintages and just ask for a 50-year breakdown of the vintages and price points of those wines and it's really fascinating to see and you'll see vintages that were higher rated or had special memory connections to them and the price points of those will be higher than the other ones so price well somewhat subjective it does have some real metrics involved in how it is set now the next question that I will get often is what does it taste like in the glass So let's say you have a $5,000 bottle of wine or you see one on the list and so people are wondering what's going to taste like. Is it going to be this aha, amazing moment, The beam from heaven will come down and this wine is going to be like no other and leave that imprint on your heart and your soul and your palate for the experience you're going to have. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) And here's why I say this. Sometimes the higher value wines, whether it's because of the vintage or because of the style and the age, usually they have a vintage component to them, so they are aged. And sometimes these wines on the palate need to be properly cellared before we enjoy them. At times, some people aren't aware of when the right time is to open those wines so they may be opened too early or the other risk is that those expensive wines are held on too long especially if they're in a private cellar and nobody is monitoring the wine notes and following that wine through its life cycle by other people tasting it and so people are not drinking that wine at its most optimum experience so when people do enjoy it it may have more aromas and flavors that potentially aren't the same as some of those wines that you're drinking that are very young and fresh. So if you're somebody who's drinking younger vintages, very fruit forward wine styles, lots of bright berry aromas or citrus aromas, and then you have a more expensive aged wine style, you're going to have more fruit leathers, more toucheries or layered flavors in there. And those can be very different on your palate and in your experience for what you're experiencing when you're drinking younger wines. So when people do try or have the opportunity to try expensive wines, sometimes my experience is it can be a little underwhelming because the profile is so different. Now, learning about tasting those wines and appreciating the aging components within a wine is part of your wine journey to be able to experience that flavor and aroma change as a wine ages is an amazing experience for you to have But if, again, if you've been drinking very young, fresh fruit forward wine styles to go to a more age worthy style, or if you're drinking a wine potentially that is too young, it's going to be very tight on the palate. You're going to have not a lot of flavors. It might be very tannic, sort of mouth drying if it's red and the whites may be a little bit closed in that you're just not getting a lot of aromatics because it's not at its optimal time. So my experience generally is when people are trying very expensive wines, they get less honest in their opinions because no one wants to say they just spent a bunch of money on this wine and they really didn't like it so I always recommend that if you do have some collectible wine styles or you have an opportunity to go to a tasting to try some of these higher value wine styles do a little research before you open the bottle or try the wines See who's tried it lately. Somebody somewhere in the world has done a note about it. Look for an optimal time and at least prepare yourself a little bit about what that experience is going to be. But know generally the wine styles are going to have more of those aged flavors, more savory flavors, and they're not gonna be fresh and bright, but they are going to be magical in their own right. It's just gonna be a change of flavor profile. So just know that if you get an opportunity, you may be a little underwhelmed because it's going to be more developed than some of the wines that people drink most of the time. So that's a bit of a, what can you experience in the glass? Same as let's talk about bubbles for a minute. If you have the opportunity to try an older vintage of champagne, for example. What happens as champagne ages is actually the bubbles start to flatten a little bit, they lose some of their liveliness and their effervescence, and those bright, fresh, sort of crisp acidity levels in champagne start to mute a little bit, so you're going to get more apple and pear flavor come through, maybe a bit more dried flavor. So in regards to champagne, if you're drinking older vintages, classically New World countries, so the United States, Canada. We like to drink our champagnes a bit younger, where old world countries prefer sort of an older vintage and they're a bit more muted and a bit more rich red apple flavors where a a younger champagne vintage is going to be more more vibrant in regards to some of its flavors. So a bit of a difference there. Neither is right or wrong, neither is better but they are very different and depending on how you have been enjoying it, it's going to be a different experience. And this is something that it's always good to have somebody guide you through the tasting or do so in a setting where you get to try things with a guide, or the wine steward, at the restaurant or someone to talk you through. So you get the full knowledge of the experience that you're having as you're tasting some of these wines. Now I want to talk about how do you keep a wine? Because I will also get questions of, so I'm going to spend X amount of dollars on this bottle of wine, I can't just put it in my kitchen, what am I gonna do with it? And this is a great question that should be considered. So first thing, if you're getting into collectible wine styles, you wanna make sure that your house insurance, what is the value of wine that your house insurance will cover? So if you're keeping these at home, not in an offsite cellar, or at a wine locker program, if you will, if you're having them in your house, you wanna make sure that they are covered under your house insurance. And this is a quick and easy phone call to your insurance broker, but I highly recommend if you're getting into some higher value wine styles, into the thousands of dollars, depending where your seller is, is make sure that it's covered by your house insurance. So something to think of there. The other thing is, is again, you wanna keep some good notes about what the vintage is, you're going to want to track it, so you're going to want to sort of make note of when people are drinking it, what their experience is with that wine so that you can make a note to yourself of, I want to open this wine in about three years or keep a note so that you want to try drink this wine at its most optimal experience. A lot of times when we get into collectible wine styles, people will hold on to them too long and we will miss that optimal drinking experience. So it's really important when you start into some more expensive or collectible wine styles that you have a good note taking. It doesn't need to be complicated. You can use an app, a piece of paper, a written log, you can use an Excel sheet, whatever works for you, but you definitely wanna keep track of it and put a little reminder to yourself of, hey, we might wanna open this, this Christmas. So don't forget about them because sometimes we do tuck these away and we don't want to forget about them now there are some bottles that age so long we have to consider potentially recorking them and a great example of this is Penfold Grange So Penfold Grange is a deep red wine coming from Australia. It is a very intense wine and this wine potentially can age indefinitely in that you're 60, 70 years. And what happens is over time, that cork just dries out. Eventually when you're aging something, 30 to 60 years, the cork is going to get dry. And so they actually offer recorking clinics. And what happens then is penfold Grange will actually reach out to people. You'll register the bottle with the winery and they will come around. They'll notify you that they're going to be in your country, in these cities. And if you'd like to bring the bottle to them, they are going to put a new cork in it for you. They're going to assess it for you and they're going to make sure that it's safe. They also sign off on it for you for insurance purposes because your wine, again, as less bottles of it are on the planet, it goes up in value and so it gets recorded with the winery. It also ensures that you're treating it well so that if you do want to resell that bottle or treat it as a collector piece, then you're going to have the right documentation. So potentially if you have some wine styles that are aging so long, you may have the opportunity to have those bottles recorked. And if you're interested, if you're watching on YouTube or in the show notes, I'm going to put a link just to an article about the recorking of penfold Grange if you are a wine geek and it's in your city and you just kind of want to go and hang out and see how they do it. It is usually a pretty small intimate group, but it's really cool to watch them do it. Maybe you didn't know that we can actually recork the bottles that way. So that's an experience that made me want to put on your bucket list one time. And the final question I want to talk about today that I get is... Should I pair an expensive wine with food or drink it on its own? And this is a really good question. And this is going to be a little bit up to you. Depending on this wine, obviously, if something has been aged multiple years, there's only a few bottles left potentially on the planet or in your country, you want to make sure you're giving that wine 100% of your attention. So I'm always going to recommend that you do some part of your experience with that wine where it is your where it is your only focus and there's no food mixed in with your first palate experience with that wine. So you get to savor it and really get to know it. However, wine is ultimately At its best when you pair it with food it loves to be combined so I always will say that you're looking for a magical pairing whether you're working with a chef or you're looking for pairings online and you're cooking this at home or in a restaurant but to have a wine first just try it on its own so you really get to know it and then to pair it with a pairing that has been really carefully thought out this is where the magic truly happens. So if you are enjoying some of those expensive wine styles and you have the opportunity, maybe you're going to a tasting dinner or a wine making dinner, this is where you're going to see that wine really come alive and show its best personality to you as you set it up with some pairings at the table and you experience it not only in the wonder and the magic in the glass, but, as a companion to the food on the table and this is where you do get that aha the stars will come out the light from heaven and that's usually where people just go quiet and you have this sublime moment where you will remember it forever and you'll just think the taste in my mouth was amazing it all was just magic and so that is the experience let's just recap what we've talked about in regards to expensive wines They are expensive for a couple reasons. One they have a street value that people understand this brand starts at this price point and as less bottles are available on the planet, the price goes up. The other is that it has some points or somebody has written about it and its value has gone up because it's gotten more notoriety if you will. So it's brought up, we also talked a little bit about what can you expect and here's where some of the expensive wines, we need to make sure we are drinking them at their optimum time, which means you're going to need to be following some of the tasting notes. A lot of times we can drink them at a point where they have more age to them than most people will experience in the wines they're drinking on a day-to-day basis, which are generally fresher and more fruit forward. So when we're into more expensive wines, generally they have more age components to them and that might be a different palate profile than most people are used to. So you wanna do a little bit of research to prepare yourself of what you can expect on the palate and like I said in my experience many people become less honest with the more expensive the wines that they're drinking because no one wants to say they don't really get it or they don't really like it because they weren't prepared for it to be a different palate profile than the wines they're drinking daily and They missed out on some of the experience because they just weren't ready for it. And a little bit of prep and a little bit of homework can give you some clues about what you can expect in the glass. But it's most likely going to be a different experience than you're used to in your regular day to day. We also talked about what do you do once you buy a collectible wine? Talked about insurance. Make sure that you are covered in your house insurance of those bottles. Also, you're going to want to make sure you're following and keeping notes on that, and you're going to want to make sure when it's laying down in your wine rack, you might want to twist that bottle just every six months, especially if it's a red. You just want to turn the bottle just around, and what that's going to do is it's going to move the sediment if the wine is aging, so every six months, kind of like how you change the batteries in your fire alarm in your house, you're just going to twist your bottles and that's going to move the sediment in the bottle so that when you do open it up, it's not just a solid line on one area of the bottle, you're just going to shift the bottle a little bit. So always recommend that as well. Sometimes you'll see people put a little bit of white mark or a little bit of chalk on the bottle and that just helps them see how they've actually turned the bottle around. So a little tip there as well. But when you're aging bottles and when you're into higher values of bottles, most likely you're going to want to make sure they are in a really good cellar or protected space. So out of sunlight, cool temperatures, some humidity there, and then we did talked about the recorking clinics, especially for Penfolds Grange, great example, but some corks will dry out after multiple decades if the wine is aging that long and something to be aware of of recorking those wine styles. So those are the main things we talked about today. Now, the last question I wanna answer is, if you're giving a gift, so because this is wedding season and lots of people are reaching out about how much, how much do I spend? What is an expensive bottle? People do have wine registries now, which is really great if you have a couple and maybe they just are are wine collectors or they love it and so they've registered a wine store and that's super easy or a gift card to that store. But how much is too much to spend on a bottle of wine? (laughs) I don't know, that's gotta be up to you. You can spend for a few dollars to tens of thousands of dollars on wine. You're gonna set your budget. The formula that I usually use is if you know the friends, the people getting married, then you say, okay, the their favorite restaurant, the average price point of the meal is when they go out. So I'm going to multiply that by four, which gives me $200. And that's going to be my fancy wine price, if you will. I can exceed it, but generally wines around $200 might be a place, but there's lots of wonderful wines from around the world. And this is where, if you have a local shop or a wine sommelier or someone that you can go to, you can always email me winegirlacademy.com and just reach out below and I'm happy to help and give you some suggestions, but there's all kinds of wonderful wines around the world at all kinds of price point but an expensive wine does not guarantee that you're going to like it it does not guarantee the quality of the wine or how you perceive the quality of the wine so it's really about especially if you're giving a gift what do the people you're giving like what do they enjoy on a daily basis and obviously it's the thought that counts but Working with a wine professional can really help you find some of those hidden gems and wine styles that will go with all things. So I hope today has been a fun episode as I've answered some of your questions that maybe you never knew who to ask or if you could ask if they seemed a little strange or you thought maybe nobody else ever wondered about them. I hope it was fun learning a bit more about expensive wines, what you can expect. How they get priced, how to treat them if you get them home, and if you get the experience to go to a wine tasting or a winemaker's dinner or something like that where they are opening up some premium bottles or some collector bottles, I highly recommend you take advantage of the experience. It is always magical. You'll come away not only learning about the wine and food, but just the wine in general and some of the personalities behind it. So I will always recommend that you take advantage of that opportunity should something like that for you to put into your calendar. As always, I wanna thank you for hanging out with me today. If you would like to reach out to me, you can reach me at hello at winegirlacademy.com if you haven't already done my palette personality quiz to find out more about your palette personality, then definitely head on over to my website and it's super easy. There's eight questions in a quiz and you've got a whole booklet all about your very own palette personality, some words to help you use when you're shopping to find wines that you like and a bit more about why you do like the wines you like. And definitely share with family and friends because if you know their palette personality, it makes it super easy for you to know which wine styles to get them as gifts so that's a little clue there as well but as always i want to wish you a wonderful week be sure to like share and subscribe so you never miss an episode cheers to you bye now